Amen. It's good to be here today. Now, today I want to talk about fish. The earliest sign of the church was a fish. It's been said that the early church hiding from persecution would meet in hidden locations marked only by that Jesus fish insignia that we now put on the back of the family minivan. It makes sense that fish was the sign of the early church because, you know, the story Jesus feeds the multitude with fish and with bread. He appears after his resurrection one early morning after the disciples are fishing and he cooks them a breakfast of fish on the shore. Our life in Christ begins in waters, the waters of baptism, though I don't think there are any fish in the baptistry. And as our children have been learning in Sunday school, Jesus calls his disciples to be fishers of people. Now, Pastor Marty asked the kids a few weeks ago what they thought that meant, and one of the kids, who's not here today so we can tell the story, said excitingly, it meant they were going to catch mer people. <laughs> However you look at it, fish are very much a part of our faith, which is why this past week I couldn't help but think of church when I was reading about a Spanish fish farm. Yes, this is what I do. Uh, I, need, I need more to do, apparently. I get bored and read about boring things like Spanish fish farms. But as you know, I have been taking a class, a farming and ministry class at a Tim and Lori Diebel's farm. Tim was our interim minister a few years ago. The class is called Organic Ministry, and we read strange things like about Spanish fish farms. We've been reading a book called The Third Plate, written by a chef named Dan Barber. And the chapters we, we, we've been reading the last two months are all about fish. He's also got a TED Talk about these fish if you're interested in TED Talks. But Dan Barber is on a search for sustainably raised food that tastes good. It sounds kind of novel, but he's a chef, and he wants fish that are good to taste and good for the world. And in such a search, he's kind of, he, he writes in his book that he's given up on finding such a fish with the uh, overfishing of our oceans, the cramped conditions and unnatural diets that you see on many fish farms. He didn't think it was possible to have a good tasting, goodly raised fish until he visits a restaurant in Spain. And he says when he sees this fish served to him, he knew immediately when he saw it that the chef had bruised it when it was preparing, when it was being prepared. And the chef had overcooked it too. It was tough when he stuck his fork in it. And yet he decided to, against his better judgment, to taste the fish anyway. And it was love at first taste. The best fish he ever tasted, he writes. How could such a fish, abused and overcooked, taste so wonderful? And so he decides, he's writing a book after all, why not go visit the fish farm where this fish came from? And he goes to Veta La Palma, the name of the farm, on the southernmost tip of Spain. It was a wetland that was once destroyed by, over, uh, by having too many cows raised on it. But today it's a beautiful, restored, thriving ecosystem. And he meets the fish farmer, a kind of eccentric character named Miguel, who's really not a fisherman at all. He's a biologist, and he tells people his expertise is relationships. And so he's decided to create this system. He believes that all creatures thrive when everything works in harmony together. And that's what he's done on this fish farm. 
He doesn't really even feed his fish. Instead, he creates this environment where they can feed for themselves. The wetlands he restored. And these restored wetlands provide uh, purity. They, they purify the contaminated river water that runs into them. This pure water then makes a thriving population of phytoplankton, which the fish eat in delight. And that's why they taste good, he says. Now, Barbara writes, he, he says to Miguel, Miguel, for such a place that is so natural, how can you measure success? And he nods as if he's expecting the question. And in a perfectly, almost unbelievably orchestrated act of good timing, he pulls there on a boat, he pulls the boat alongside a shallow levee, and thousands of pink flamingos show up, stretched before them like a pink carpet laid out as far as the eye could see. And he points, Miguel points to the flamingos and said, that, that is success. Look at their bellies. They're feasting, he says. And I was totally confused, Barbara writes. They're feasting, but aren't they feasting on your fish? Yes, he says, as thrilled as he had been the whole day. And I laughed, but he just ignored me. And he looked out at the flamingos. There are 30,000 of them, he says. And overall, well, we lose about 20% of our fish eggs and baby fish to these birds. But Miguel, a thriving bird population, is the last thing you'd want on a fish farm. And he shook his head slowly and says, well, we're farming extensively, not intensively. This, this is an ecological network, he says. The flamingos, they eat the shrimp. The shrimp eat the phytoplankton. The pinker the flamingo bellies, the better the system. The quality of relationships matter more than the quantity of the catch. Now, he goes on to tell Barbara about these flamingos who travel to this farm every day from 150 miles away, 300 mile round trip, and they get there literally by following the white lines on a small Spanish country road. And they follow this road all the way, and he asks him, why do they do that? Is it, is it for their babies? Is it some March of the Penguins kind of ritual they do? And he looks at him confused and said, no. They come here because the fish tastes better. And I know what you're thinking. What does good tasting fish have to do with the church? Let me ask another question. What makes a good tasting church? Now, earlier we read words from the Apostle Paul. These are words that come at the end of a long letter to the church in Rome. Rome is, of course, a big city even then in Paul's day. And the church that was established in Rome is far from perfect. They, they weren't a very old church. This is a new church still. And they're still figuring out what it means to live together. And Paul, from a distance, is writing them a letter to be their guide. See, this church is a diverse church. Half the church are Jews by birth, and half of them are Gentiles. And they have very different customs and traditions. When they come together to worship, they have different preferences, and it's quite a mess. There's power struggles. They eat different foods at the church potluck. It is always chaos at the church in Rome. And it'd probably be better if I were writing them, I'd probably say, well, why don't you just organize two churches, the Jewish churches, the Gentile churches? That way you get along better. It'd be cleaner, less messy. But Paul tells them in the passage we read, you who are strong, he says, well, the strong should put up with the weak. You should seek to please your neighbor, to build them up instead of pleasing yourself. You should live in harmony with one another, 
Even when you don't have a lot going on, a lot in common. And you should always welcome one another. When someone new comes, when someone different comes, always welcome them as Christ has welcomed you. It's like Paul is echoing the words of this fish farmer in Spain. The quality of the relationships are much more important than the quantity. Church may be messy. Putting up with one another is never easy. But that, that, Paul says, is what makes a good-tasting church. A healthy church is where all those diverse relationships are in harmony with one another. And church should, church should probably look more like the fish farm in Veta La Palma. Now, I've been told that a good church is a church that where everybody sort of believes the right thing. Here's the creed. Let's all say it together. Or a good church is where we all always have you know, music with the best top-notch musicians and our programs are always planned to perfection and we're all served up in an attractive, modern-looking church facility. Well, you've been around Norwalk Christian Church long enough to know that's not us. The look of our sanctuary may be dated and that's because, well, it is. It was built in like 1960s. It was remodeled a few years after that. Sometimes we miss the cues. Sometimes we sing the introits after the opening <laughs> camp and prayer. And even when we're singing the right song, sometimes we miss the wrong notes and we stumble over our words. Sometimes the pastor on Saturday decides I'm going to change my text and has to come up here and reprint bulletins so you have it correctly. And sometimes even then there's probably a few typos. We're not always polished. In fact, last week, Doug Pierce was our worship leader, and he lovingly went off script and called his good friend Don Darnell the village idiot of Knoxville, Iowa. Now, you had to be here. You had to be here. A few Sundays ago, we were at the communion table in the middle of communion, and I looked down, and those three chalices are empty. And Marty goes and gets a bottle of Welch's grape juice, and in a, I guess, a ritual of sorts, brings it up, and while I'm talking, pours it into the cups. We're far from perfect around here. We don't even agree on matters of doctrine. We can be all over the place. Some of us wish our worship style was more traditional, and others wish it was more contemporary. We don't vote the same. We don't look the same. We don't eat the same. We don't believe the same because we're not the same. And how boring would it be if we were? If you're hoping for a perfect church, that's not us. But that's not what we're called to be either. This marvelous diversity, it may be messy, but that is what makes us beautiful. This is what church is. We may be bruised and overcooked on the plate, but we taste delicious. Now on Miguel's farm, delicious fish come from a restored, healthy ecosystem, a system where everyone's playing its part and it all works together. In the restored wetlands, what's happening is they're cleaning up the waters and those same waters then flow into the Atlantic Ocean, which hits our shores. So Miguel's fish farm makes our beaches healthier. But not only that, not only those uh, 30,000 flamingos, but his fish farm is now a bird sanctuary. It's the largest and most important in all of Europe. There are over half a million bird species which feast on his fish. Sorry, half a million birds, 250 bird species. That's 200 more than there were when he got the farm. It is the most important bird sanctuary in that part of the world. Through these healthy relationships, he's changing the world. 
And that's how it is with us. We can learn a lot from this fish farm because us, this church, we may be small, but in coming together, in agreeing to get along and finding harmony, we become better people. And in bumping up against one another, our edges wear off. We learn from one another. Relationships transform us. And in turn, as we change, we flow out into the world and transform the world. When I marry a couple, I'll often have the congregation of friends and family stand and offer a blessing to this couple. And I'll always say that you are not doing your relationship alone, but you need one another. You need one another, and we all need one another. It may be messy. Families are messy. But we care for one another. We don't have to be perfect because we build one another up. We support each other. When someone is in need, we come around them and help them. Faith is a journey And as our coffee cups say, we share that journey together. As we bump into one another's quirks and intricacies, as the strong deal with the weak, we learn to live in harmony with one another. We welcome everyone, no matter what, no matter what that person may believe, no matter who they love, no matter what's in their past, no matter where they're going in their future, no matter how much money they have or how put together they may be. This fellowship of difference makes us the church. This is what church should be, a healthy spiritual ecosystem of birds and fish and shrimp and phytoplankton and village idiots and all of our differences (laughs) coming together in Christ because we need one another. We can't do life alone, and our world needs us to come together and to be church. And so now let us bring all that we are, the mess, our confusion, our doubts, No matter how put together we are, we are beautiful. And Christ calls us as his people to come to the table of Christ. And so now we come again to the Lord's table where we are are always welcomed. We are always loved and we are transformed and sent out into the world to be a blessing. Amen.